What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. My name is Rich Kleiman. With me, as always, my brother from another, Gianni Harrell. What's up, my G? Um, thanks for tuning in, Out of Office. Thanks for listening to the sweet sounds of Pete Rock and Seal Smooth, our theme music. Um, shit, man, what's up with you? Man, chilling. Life's good. Basketball. Kanye's coming back to IG. Life is good. Yeah. So the show today, by the way, is our uh, audio from the Gary V interview I did two weeks ago that appeared on our first boardroom digital magazine cover. Shout out Gary V. Shout out the entire team that worked on the boardroom cover. Shout out my friends at Weed Maps and FanDuel who were very uh, present in my conversations this past weekend when I was in Minnesota. And I was really only there for a day. But my whole day in Minnesota Friday, which you weren't able to go to because you had a family obligation, was really a wild, emotional ride. Like, first and foremost, Gary's VCon was incredible. He brought the who's who in the world of NFT and crypto and blockchain all to this stadium in Minnesota. But then afterwards, I went with Spike um, to visit the George Floyd site, and it was just really painful, emotional, and, and important experience for me to have. And obviously going with Spike was, you know, on a whole other level and what he meant to that community showing up. But just to see this small town and to know what happened there and that the whole world had their eyes on this spot and that that happened in the middle of the day. Oh, God. It was, it was, it was a lot, man, but it was important um, for me to be there. And I really... I really feel like it was an important experience and something that I could talk to my children about and just something that, you know, I needed to do when I was in Minnesota. And then after that, I got the luxury of going to tour Paisley Park, Prince's uh, studio, and that was just insane. I mean, his shoes, like 10,000 pairs of, like, custom heels. Is the estate big? It's insane, yes. It, it's, like, very uh, innocuous, just right off the road and throughway in Minnesota. You go through the security gate, and it's just, like live rooms and studio rooms and stages and his clothing and his purple piano and the motorcycle from purple, purple rain. rain and just i mean i i don't know how much i'm even allowed to disclose to be quite honest it felt so like secret service is this everything tour. purple everything's not purple but just like it's magical it's in the there, right man. it was pretty insane i mean first of all like if you grew up on prince or even know about him it's just you know one of the greatest entertainers of any lifetime ever and just seeing this place where all his shit took place straight up like they said a hat that was on one of the pianos was still there from when he passed like it's just the like doves that were in the cage from doves cry like it's just insane man so just to be able to go to that and experience that but then to have been you know at where i was earlier in the day at the george floyd site with spike and then to vcon just a lot of range of emotions a really incredible day um and i'm glad that this week's pod is actually that combo with gary i feel like people really enjoy it. a lot of our listeners that want to know more and more about nfts and crypto and a little bit of the future in 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 the landscape of this conversation we always have around boardroom um gary does a really good job of summarizing a lot of the major players and what the future may hold and what he thinks about twitter and elon musk if the deal was to go through so really think people will enjoy it um but yeah shout out all the supporters over here all the brands showing us love over at boardroom i mentioned weed maps and FanDuel. got to shout out my my friends at coinbase and collectible just because these are brands that believe in what we're building and i believe in what we're building so you know i like to show love facts um all right well let's get into this gary combo um again i think everyone will enjoy it boardroom.tv download subscribe wherever you listen to your pod um check it out let's go Gary, another boardroom episode. I appreciate you always supporting. Um, I'm going to take a different approach to our interview today. A year ago, I had the chance to interview on my pod, and even though we've been friends for a little while, I got to really understand who you were in your whole career. And 
you know, what it was that made Gary V Gary V. But it really has dawned on me that in March of 2020, when I had already met you, I remember being at um, Polo Bar and someone ran over and got on one knee and told, told you that uh, you changed their life. And it really there like solidified in me that like everything I had seen and assumed was so fucking real, you know? But who you were then, as opposed to who you are today, so much has changed. You have to know that, who you are, your notoriety, I think how people regard your success and just where you kind of sit in this zeitgeist. Um, why do you think so much has changed for you in the last two years? First of all, thank you. I think it's a, uh, it happens a lot. And you know, obviously we both love sports and music and kind of, this, there's always that project that series, mm -hmm. that ring, right? Some, you know, I think the NFT thing, I'd be lying if I didn't say, oh, I was at the right place in my career with all those micro wins underneath. I think that I understood it and understand it even right now, where it is right now, in a way that comes very natural to me because of my background. And I think it was just a lot of bricks and then the right macro trend because what I'm doing with NFTs, I did with e-commerce in 96, I did with email in 97, I did with Google AdWords in 2000, I did with YouTube in 06 and Twitter in 07. And I've been doing it all, and that's how it's all built. And I think the NFT thing is so hard to wrap your head around. It's more like internet 96 than yeah. social media 05. That it was just the right place at the right time. And I executed. While everybody was still debating, is this even a thing, I went out and, put vFriends at the forefront, was an investor in the right projects, um, and, and, I, and also, if you really look under the hood, at the same time, while this all happened in this 24 months, VaynerX, VaynerMedia, all this stuff, really took the next step. And so 99.9% .9 of people see me on social, but, even for, but the point one that really pay attention and you know who those kind yeah. of characters are. There's a level of like, oh wait a minute, that's like a billion dollar company too. It's like, there's 2,000 employees, they have 300 people in yeah. Asia, like, and I'm the operator. Yep. And so I think, you know, I just think people have their moment when you know, things shift a little bit, and I'm, I definitely sense it. Yeah. In this new kind of space that we're in, you could say something a week before it happens, and people will think of you as some prognosticator, right, yeah. that you were ahead of the game. But some of the things that have come to the surface and I've seen on social media, and maybe not even from you, are you talking about NFTs and the power that they could have maybe four, five, six years ago, right? How much are you able to foreshadow from you know, just your gut and instinct? Or do you think that there was this like real world that maybe all of us weren't aware of. Because when I think about how many people truly own a crypto wallet now, you're talking about a hundred some odd thousand people, I think it is, right? And I would imagine 10, 20%, I'm guessing this, that are really volatile in this market are these same sharks. So there had to have been so few five, six, seven years ago. What was it that you the, were aware of? The thing that you're referring to is something I talked about in 2000. 11, which was really based on Farmville. Mm -hmm. So what I do very well is understand human behavior and what things are consistently true. And when I saw people buying sheep on Facebook for the Farmville flex in their newsfeed, then, then, 2010, 11, then is when I decided, oh my God, people are going to do things in digital the way we do in real life. The reason the Rolex and the Lambo and the Burka bag and the rare Nikes mean so much is it's a form of communication. Mm -hmm. You're just talking. Yeah. You're just talking, right? When when you know we we're, we've worked really hard to be in spots where we're running in certain circles. Like when you're sitting courtside at an NBA game, people are dressed to communicate. Whether they're like me, which is like t-shirt and jeans and what the fuck, who gives a shit, or they go to the 11, we're both communicating. I'm communicating like, hey, I'm not that fancy, come say what's up. Other people are communicating like, I work really hard and always wanted this, and everything in between. Yeah. And so communication is what I'm good at. Really, that's what I'm good at, and why humans do it. So some of the stuff that has popped up in social, 
it's, you know, it's not that I knew that NFTs were gonna be the thing. The blockchain hadn't really even hit when I started realizing, but it is why I understood social better than most people on earth. I knew that blue check mark was gonna matter. I knew how many followers you had were gonna matter because that's how humans are wired. When I saw CryptoKitties in 17, I saw for a hot second and it really caught my attention and this is where the story gets stinky. I just don't really even remember why I didn't see it all the way through. Got busy. Who remembers why? I just can't recall. But I remember for a hot second, I was like, uh? And then when NBA Top Shot, I met with Roham the spring before it hit in the fall of 2000, and he was breaking down, and ironically, I didn't know this when Fred Wilson introduced me. I didn't know he was the Crypto Kitties guy. So I sat there. I remember I was outside. Was like, B almost stung me. It was like this summer. On a, on a Zoom, and I w- and it started really coming together. I remember telling him, I can't wait to see what happens with Top Shot. Top Shot comes out and hits. I'm very heavy in sports card at the time. I'm watching it. I'm busy because it's Q4 and Vayner's really rolling now. We just got out of COVID and I'm seeing like, oh shit. We t- it's almost like we got knocked down in the first round, but like now we're about to win this fight. That's how I felt in, dis- in November of that March. Like in March I was super scared. All our clients are telling me I'm, they're not paying for a while. And then by September, October, like wait, we're gonna grow in 21. So it was like kind of a little, that was interesting. So I didn't really have time. And then the year ended and I finally had time because uh, Christmas holiday season and I really looked and when I saw CryptoPunks and I went on Twitter and I went to some discords and I read a couple of blog posts, mediums, and I was like, Oh, and that's, you know, that's, A&R's, real, I really associate with A&R's. Yeah. I'm not a music A&R, Mike Boyd is, which is why I always have these people in here early, but in macro business and culture, I'm a very good kind of culture, human being, pop culture A&R, yep. and I could just sense it was gonna happen, and one of the reasons I could sense it was all the way back to some of the videos that are populating now, I already knew, which is why Roblox and Minecraft and Fortnite made sense to me. I'm like, oh, that Fortnite skin, that's a flex. That's a communication. Of course people are gonna spend 50 bucks for that. And one of the easiest ways to communicate NFTs to people that don't get it are people that have six to 12 year olds and ask them if they've ever paid for anything inside of a video game. They said, of course, they understand that. I'm like, well, the blockchain is the world's video game. And it's going to really matter. Yeah. It's so I, I can relate to so much of it. It's my timeline is is very similar. And I think at one point in that timeline, you became my guide and to so many other people. And I remember at the same point in that fall of 20, realizing that this was my ability to grow a platform. And instead of trying to create new business or try to keep up with every new transaction and have buy early and, and sell high, I covered it all. You know, and that really was my way of growing the platform. I also met Roham in 16 and 17. Mm. Remember not quite understanding CryptoKitties. I remember Steph Curry was actually pretty early into Mm. it. So KD and I saw at the same Mm. time. And then meeting Roham again in March and April and having the same reaction. And it's funny because sports clearly at that time really gave him the fuel for Top Shot. But it really became the like first person in in educating mainstream population. It was the transactions and, and the volatility of a Rob Gronkowski NFT. Yep. It was trading cards and people starting to understand how that value was yep. created by what was happening in the real world, which is why I wanna ask you, why do you think people are having a, such a hard time understanding NFTs? When to me, version one of the internet and version two, comparative to the time, was way harder to understand how you could get on because, to a website. Yeah, because most people don't, didn't live in 1995 from a business and human anthropology perspective. Yeah. There's most people that are watching this and most people on earth in 1995, six, seven, weren't in the business of thinking about everybody doing something. They were either a kid in college who was just happy that the internet let them not go to the library a grown-up that didn't get it and didn't want to put their credit, I mean, right now everyone's like, Gary, this isn't gonna work, they're scams. I'm like, do-do-do, enter, and I show them Wall Street Journal. The internet won't succeed because of credit card scams. Mm-hmm. History just repeats itself. The reason people are struggling, really, there's actually something fascinating. I would say, to the, I would say social media web two was less insane than one in three, 
other than people didn't understand that people wanted to talk to each other all the time about everything and everything. Yeah, they didn't know the effect. Right, Every, I, I will never forget this. 06, I am like Twitter's Pied Piper. 07, every combo. And literally nine out of 10 people would say to me, but who would care if you're having a pizza? Who gives a shit if you're walking the dog? And every time I would answer, everyone. And they would be like, what? They would think it was so great. And I was like, you don't get it. It's actually how it works. Yeah. Why do you think, people care about everything. Why do you think we have traffic on the other side of the road when there's an accident on the other side? Everyone's gotta look. Yeah. Rubble, rubber neck, you gotta look. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, why we gotta, like why do we gotta do that? It's what we do. But one in three were crazy. With one, the world had never had anything like this in technology. There was home computers, but this was the internet, and people were bringing their real world brain to the internet, and everyone struggled. Mm -hmm. Everyone struggled with one. It took time. Email, credit, 95 to 2007, 2002, that seven year window, a lot of people went from, I'll never use the internet. I'll never have an email, like that, right? The reason everyone is struggling with Web3 right now in the blockchain is everyone's bringing their internet brain to the blockchain. The reason the big joke of, well, I'll right click and save it is because that's an internet action. Yeah. On the internet, you can't own anything digital. People just become accustomed to that. As a matter of fact, you remember this. We have the, this age share thing that we have that really, when YouTube hit, people were freaked out because intellectual property Remember, it was like, no, like yeah. they were taking, YouTube was taking down like the Simpsons, but then it became like everybody had access to everyone's intellectual property. Web3 takes it all the way back. Yeah. Now somebody really does own it. When, you know, I was on CNBC the other day, they're like, Gary, like I could take a, I can right click and save it. I'm like, I could take a photo outside yeah. with a Lambo and say it's mine. Doesn't mean it's mine. Yeah. You can right click and save all you but, want. You know, th- to that point right there, I think is, when I heard you say that and talked about like if you stood in front of somebody's house, took a picture of it, it was the same analogy as saying well, I could take a screenshot of my CryptoPunk. That to me was like game over. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, everything in the physical is so arbitrary. There'd be no way to explain it to someone. Not to mention fake Rollies, fake Gucci belts, fake, ba- there's people, there's the biggest celebrities in the world showing up on Instagram in my feed called out for fake sneakers and they don't even realize it because experts are like, it is, so much easier to have fake in the real world and on the internet than it is on the blockchain. The blockchain is a ledger of affirmation. Yeah, yeah. And once everyone understands that, it's all going there yeah. because that is a huge new variable. And the arbitrage, I think, was really twisting people up, but the arbitrage of art in general, I went to the Basquiat exhibit two weeks ago and you know, it's incredible. But if you told someone from another planet to take a look at that and explain why that had more value than something else or why my eight-year-old said, I could do that, like pointed to that painting. And she meant it in that I, sh- I could literally draw well, that. Jackson Pollock, for sure, everyone yeah, could do. That was your that, example, too. That really I mean, Jackson Pollock's a $100 million piece of art. Like, it is really for real. Like, that one, like, for real. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, yes, but I think the comp that people need to hear, and it's why I keep saying 98% of projects are going to zero, is more internet stock. We had internet companies worth $43 billion mm-hmm. in 1997. $43 billion. This is before inflation. This is 20. Yeah, AOL. I mean, but there was companies that went to zero. Yeah. $43 billion, $17 billion, $29 billion to zero yeah. in three years. That's what's happening right now. When you have a macro trend, this is why it's called a gold rush. People in this country, right here, people that lived right here, took their whole families for three weeks, five weeks, whatever it took to get a horse to California because they heard about the gold rush. People act irrational when something major is happening. The internet was major. So what happened? Pets.com and all these companies got valued at numbers that were so insane today, the Chewy, that is the pets.com is not worth what the valuation was on an idea in 97. Right now we have NFTs that are worth too much money because the founders, me included, I have a half a billion dollar market cap with VFriends. I have a lot of work to do to justify that. I think I'm up for the task, but I think a lot of people are not going to be and so we need a correction and we've already had some of that. I think we're in a much better place today where things are like a little more calm, not every project sells out in a second, not every time somebody changes their profile picture to the thing, it explodes. It's a little bit more mature and so 
the reason the numbers confused everybody, like you bought that ape for this much and now it's worth 200,000, that's because of the gold rush. That happened with the internet. But to remind everybody, when the internet stocks crashed, like NFT correction will happen as well, Amazon was sitting there for $6 a share. Like that was a good move. eBay was there, PayPal was there, and, and I know for fact, as long as I stay healthy, vFriends will get dragged down with everything else, but will rise, because I'm gonna execute. Yeah. And there's gonna be 15 to 50 other executors and operators and capable executives who are gonna take these projects of this era and be out there in 2030, and then 98% won't. Yeah. But isn't that probably what the odds are in the real world? Too? Yes, and the real world every time there is something of a hysteria. The housing crisis is. I mean, it's about to happen in real estate right now. Yeah. We're getting recorrected. Interest rates are up. Money's not zero. We're getting back into the world. People are recalibrating where they live. Zoom this, office, gotta be in the office, don't have to be in the office. Inevitably, yeah. that's gonna recorrect things. And some markets are gonna go up, some markets are gonna go down. That's just life. Yeah. Well, all right, so sticking with NFTs and getting your kind of perspective on some of the moments over the last two years that have really um, added to the hysteria, as you say, but have now created incredible businesses. Um, when was the first time you were aware of Board 8? Um, tell me what you think about what it, its, its impact has been, the future of it, um, and yeah, tell me you know, your overall thoughts. So Board 8 is a really fun story for me. I was launching, oh, this is insane. I was launching VFriends a year ago today, 5-5, five, because five, that's my number. Uh, and what had happened was right around 5-1, four days earlier, I was like, we're not ready. And I'm not sure this tech is right. I'm like, I gotta push it a week. So that sucked. Yeah. From February to May 5th, I had onboarded an ungodly amount of people into Ethereum and the blockchain, like I was very proud of that. That's probably one of the biggest impacts I had in 2021. I was taking my audience and teaching them. This is what a MetaMask is. Mm -hmm. Do not give out your seed phrase, like serious 101 stuff, yeah. stuff that we still have to be doing. Yeah. So I had this big discord, everyone was hyped. Five, five, this, that, the other thing. All of a sudden, we get pushed. I don't know what the exact timing is, I have to look it up, I'm sure they'll celebrate it too. But somewhere in late April to May 12th, Board Ape came out. And I remember Jimmy from NFT42, which was the company that helped me build my tech and infrastructure, went in deep and liked it. And we were talking about all the projects at that point. And I remember looking at it and the first thing I thought was like, those look cool. Remember it vividly. I'm like, those look cool. But I was so in my like 18 hours a day to get VF1 off the ground. And the next thing I saw was in my Discord, some people were like, hey, VFriends is delayed. I think I'm gonna buy one of these bored apes. And I remember jumping in and being like, that's awesome. Like, like I wanted to make sure everyone knew, like, you should do that. Like, yeah. it's not just, this is about bigger than vFriends. Like, if you, and so that was the second thing I thought. To watch what they've done in one year is profound. I think Board Ape is obviously the singular most important IP brand right now in the NFT space. Different than vFriends, I think in Pokemon, Disney, Nickelodeon terms, Sesame Street, I think Bored Ape has captured the supreme palace kith energy. Like it's cool, yeah. right? So it's, it's not only the biggest, it, it plays in a way that goes more street brand than you know, kind of cool. Um, obviously along the way, Guy Oseri got involved, who obviously both of us know, and like anybody who's been in the business world or pop culture world, that's a lot of energy and a lot of talent that's been brought to the table. They've done an unbelievable job in not only making Board Ape the bomb, but Mutant, Kennel Club, uh, now they just did their land, which has profound economics behind it. So where they find themselves right now is they're the AOL and Yahoo of this moment, right? Yeah. Right? They're the Facebook and MySpace of this moment, right? What they want to do now is execute for the next five years to be Facebook, not Friendster. What they want to execute now is to be Yahoo, even though Google came along and won that game six years later. But at the time, Yahoo fended off Ask Jeeves, fended off Dogpile, Infos, like there's all these other yeah. search engines. They have found themselves at the top. Just like those companies, Facebook got huge. I remember everybody made fun of me when I invested in Facebook at a billion. They're like, that's the stupidest thing you ever did. I'm like, we'll see. 
that's where they're at now, right? They have a huge valuation. They are the ones. They're the ones everybody knows. In main, the more people know about that one than any. They went out and bought the CryptoPunks IP. You know, like they've done so. Larva Labs' projects, CryptoPunks and MeBits, they've done so many things right, which is why they've earned where they sit in the lexicon. And now I'm sure they're sitting around and saying, "All right." Now, it's almost like now the work begins. Yep. We've got this huge valuation, we've got all eyes on us, it's ours to lose, yep. and uh, that's a fun, high-pressure place to be, but it's, it's, I'm just very happy for them. And before we move on, what, what happened the other day with the other side metaverse launch? Well, I think what you're probably referring to is there was really big gas wars. Yeah. And so, look, and it's funny the way they reacted to it, and they reacted, like, Ethereum, um, is not built for high, high demand items because of the way gas is structured, the way it's all structured, and no question that is Ethereum's biggest vulnerability. People have to pay gas to get their transaction done, and when there's high demand, the gas gets very expensive, and people, a lot of people also, what people don't understand when they first get into it is you go to pay for it, you pay the gas, you might not get it if all the 10,000 items sell or how many items before you get yours. Somebody might outgas you. What people are very not used to, people are used to going to Nike's website, hitting, 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 and getting beat. Now they're just mad. In Ethereum land, you hit it, hit it, hit it, you get beat, you also just paid in, in Bored Apes land place $7,000 to lose. You know, normal projects you might get outgassed, you a couple hundred bucks. Still upsetting. I went to buy this, somebody beat me, and I paid 310 bucks and I don't have anything? That's a tough hurdle. Yeah. That's not how web one and two work. Number two, with the board Ape, it was so big that the gas numbers were so high that some people have spent thousands of bucks. So that's a challenge. My, my brother AJ had that with Vayner Sports Pass. Yeah. We had that. Just three weeks earlier, we had a gas war and some people, so it's a very big challenge. This is all new. Yeah. It's still early. The tech has not caught up. The education hasn't. People are getting scammed left and right. This is Web 95, yeah. 97. So you mentioned CryptoPunks, and I know um, Yuka Labs owns yes. uh, quite a bit of CryptoPunks, and CryptoPunks had its moment around the same time, and you were a big proponent of the movement. Can you I, tell me your history with CryptoPunks? Yeah, well? Kevin Rose, founder of Moonbirds, which is a monster project. Him, we were just chopping about NFTs and collectibles. We started talking about X-Men 1, more comic book kick. Somehow he's like, hey, have you checked out Punks yet? I'm like, no. And that was it. That was that was like the, I was like I'm gonna do that now. Like it was literally I'm I, like as soon as he said it because I love Kev and I know he's smart. I was like no I'm gonna do that. Hung up and just literally from that second, for the next three weeks I got very <laughs> educated on the history of CryptoPunks, how OG it was, seventeen, how it really started the ten thousand PFP project, how even apes and aliens and the whole culture of it really got focused. And I think around Valentine's Day in February, uh, after that month of January, I was like. This is a good investment. Yep. I'm gonna do this. I think this NFT thing's gonna happen. This is the thing. This is Alpha Zero. This is the project. Yep. This is the one. Um, and so I bought a bunch, um, told my Discord to buy them, told all my friends to buy it, my friends that have audiences, which has been documented, all my normal friends, and yes. anybody who was in my way. I was like, you need to look at this. This is expensive, I get it. You know, it was like 20,000 bucks for a JPEG. Like, everyone's like, Oof. I'm like, I'm telling you, and at that point, I was just on the back of cards three years earlier, you know yeah. this. Everyone was like, no, and it really happened. So a lot of my inner <laughs> circle was like, damn, I missed the card just thing. just got a Zion rookie. They're like, <laughs> I, they're like and then, you know what sucked? Cards were like kind of crazy, but at least most people were like, well, yeah, cards are worth something. This one, I came at them, and they were like, this is a tough pill to swallow. Some did, some didn't. You know, it's funny, I said this the other day, I still, think CryptoPunks, for me personally, is the NFT that I have that I feel the safest with because of how I think history will play yeah. out. You know, my ability, Bored Ape, World of Women, Doodles, Moonbirds, all of us, we're at the mercy of how good we are in navigating the company over the next 10 years to if it's gonna work. Yeah. Punks has something called history on its side. Yeah. Nothing's gonna change 
anything from the fact that it established the 10,000 PFP, kind of like the modern blueprint for what pops, and, uh, and I think that will carry weight over time. Yeah. Um, do you think the fact that Ucalabs bought these CryptoPunks and are now allowing the owners to create their own IP, right? Yes. Is that something that's part of, you think, the future of like the way these owners of NFTs are looking at building revenue outside of utility, which is empowering now everyone else to build yeah. their own value? I think it's a profound strategy of giving the creative commons to the user. I think it's a great thesis. I'm excited to see how it plays out. You know this. Brands, for the last 100 years, have focused on controlling everything. You know, you really look at the LVMH model, right? Like the way you become a brand is everything's tight. Well, by nature, somebody tomorrow could be working on a bored ape rum that comes in a plastic bottle and is shitty. And what what if that has a, a little bit of commercial success? Does that hurt the brand positioning if somebody else is trying to do high-end jewelry? So I think the thing that's gonna be cool to see, which I don't have the answer for, is if you give the individual creative commons and IP ownership to the individual NFT owner of an overall project, you're gonna have a lot of different things going on and it'll be fascinating to see what happens. I mean, some, some people may do really, distur- like they have control, yep. they could do anything. and so. I'm really curious as a marketer, as a brand person, as a consumer behaviorist to see how it plays out. I think it could be a profound power because now you have tons of people working on it on behalf of the IP. I don't know if we've seen the ramifications of when somebody does something that's detrimental. And I don't mean egregious like a racist act or a sexist act. I mean like commercial success on a product that's like yeah. lowbrow. Harness the brand. Yeah. Like real life, yeah. like you know, if Nike, if if everyone had control and somebody came out with a commercially successful Nike for four dollars a pair, that would hurt the yeah. overall Nike business. Yes. And so I don't think we've figured that out yet, but I love it and I love what it means. You know, for me with V Friends, I didn't go that route mainly because I've been looking for this moment my whole life. I want to be in charge of developing Empathy Elephant and Patient Panda yeah. and Flexing Fox and Swaggy Sea Lion. Like I gotta do that, that's my dream. So I'm, I did a little bit different. Projects go both ways. I think it's gonna be an and game. I think both will work. Yeah. Um, the big curiosity elephant, pun intended, in room for me is watching 10,000 separate entrepreneurs or 5,000, because that's usually what you see in 10,000, how many different owners, 5,000 different entrepreneurs monetize the IP, yeah. and what does that mean for the consumer? Yeah. Um, and all right, before we move on also into a new category as it relates to NFTs, one also that you got me excited about and that I bought and purchased one was World of Women. Mm. To me, there feels like there's something a bit more unique and potentially a bit more longer lasting. Um, what, yeah. What's the origin of World of Women and, and do you feel the same? I do actually. That one's different because because the artist, Yam, she's just like legit. You know, like she's a legit artist. It was the first like ultra premium female, like there was other female project, but like this was the one. It feels like it has a real soul. Um, it, It, look, I mean, it's just like everything in the world. Like, you know, there's an enormous amount of society, men included, not just women, that are gonna associate more with that. Like for example, for me, when I saw it, so I saw it on Minting, it was in Twitter, like I'm just looking at Twitter every day at this point for every project. So like three or four mentions that day. This new project's minting, it's called World of Women. I just looked at it, went on the website, looked at it in two seconds, two seconds. I'm right. like, it felt right, back to the A&R thing. And number two, I remember this vividly, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get a fire one and give it to my mom. You know, like, you know, I put my mom on such a pedestal, she's such my hero that that connected for me. Obviously, for all the women in crypto, here's, like, they're like, look, we're being represented, this is art, you know, like, so there's that. A ton of guys resonate with the art and the project. It just had all the ingredients. Another project that later on, later after Board Ape Guy Osiri gets involved in, so now all of a sudden you have a lot of good marketing and business development infrastructure there. They've stayed the course. They've, They've built a real community. She's, for, I think she's a real artist forever, she's young. And most importantly, you know, again, pretty much not different than CryptoPunks. When the history books are written of this era, that's going to be 
pioneer. the pioneer female project. It yeah. is what it is, yeah. you know, it is. The art is subjectively fire too. Like I always think art is the eye beholder. Like I'm very aware of why people think my squiggles, my doodles are not, but like back to Pollock or Warhol. But like universally, the look of world of women resonates with a lot of human beings. And so that's something to think yeah. about as well. Elon Musk and Twitter. Yeah. First thing that comes to your mind. That Twitter's finally gonna innovate. Watch this, Amazon. Very different company than what we saw at start as. Meta, very different company than what we saw at start as. Netflix, very different company than what we saw at start as. Do you know Twitter 2007 that I signed up for is basically the same exact yes. thing? So, you know, obviously people are gonna be like, freedom of speech and what's gonna happen politically. That, that I understand is gonna capture everyone's conversation. It's just not where my brain goes. My brain goes to, if I told you, you're a smart ass dude, that in six years Twitter is Netflix's biggest competitor in streaming, you would say, okay, yeah, I see how that could have happened, right? Twitter is the conversation water cooler of society. They added those capabilities. Netflix was delivering CDs in the mail. Yeah. Like, so my first thing is that. I like that. Yeah, I think, like, I think Twitter has so much of the world on it. There's so much more things we could be doing. Yeah. Even Twitter Spaces, by taking a feature that was going on in Clubhouse, has been a nice addition. But they have been very small little things. Yeah. Twitter is, it's insane to me. Yeah, that's that, exciting that, to think about it yeah, from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah, so I think, you know, listen, all the, I mean, when people go about like, everyone's attention is, will Trump be unbanned? Like, I get that. And that is like, that's like a societal conversation. That's more about civility and like where we are in the political system and unrest and like, that to me, I don't think about Elon and Twitter and that. That's way bigger than Elon and Twitter. That's an America human. That's a yes. human thing. I come it from, man, I bet you subscriptions come. So if I'm Elon, if I did it, the first thing I do is create a micro subscription just to get people's credit cards. Just let me get their credit, even if it's 99 cents a year, right? Uh, Businesses uh, monetizing on it, like every client I have would pay some sort of big if they had to, right? So I think he's gonna innovate. Um, Social media in general, I think sometimes brands individuals think that the rules are the same, that the roadmap to success is the same. And it feels like any new brand starting has this North Star of what they see other brands been able to build on social media, but it's a whole different world and a whole different landscape. Obviously, TikTok has rose to the top, um, but Discord has become in the last two years, to me, the most tactical approach to starting to build a community. Do you agree and how do you think Discord um, fits in the future? I do. Uh, what's crazy about Discord is everybody understands it because even the OGs, like when, when, I, when I took the older business people, my contemporaries, not 20 year old kids, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s businesses, literally all I say to them is, oh, it's AOL chat rooms from the 90s. They're like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. It's very easy to understand. Community is absolutely built in it. Obviously it was big in gaming, so I've been aware of it for a while. It completely has exploded in the NFT world, which then, because NFTs have exploded, got people to be like, wait a minute, maybe you should stand up a Discord for this and that. Absolutely, it's where community is built. Um, I think it's a great tool, it's fast. The reason Twitter's good is it's fast. You know, when you post an Instagram, or even a TikTok, community lives in the comments, it's not easy. Whereas like in my Discord, I talk, I'm just boom, boom, boom. It's, there's no friction yeah. to talking. Yeah. Um, similar to Twitter, which is why it's a strong product. Um, so yeah, I think Discord has absolutely given itself a seat at the table for community, yeah. for sure. All right, trading cards I think were like the uh, alpha strain of <laughs> that summer of 2020. And then NFTs were the yeah. Omicron, yeah. right? You like that? <laughs> I like that, that's a good analogy. Or no, the Delta, the, the Delta. 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 Um, but trading cards will forever have a place in society and in this economy of collectibles. And I think even as we look at long-term assets and fractional buying, um, but it isn't exactly, in my opinion, where people were thinking it was going in April or uh, May of 20. In, this, in the same way that NFTs won't on an individual basis on an individual, on a macro level, on an individual, yeah, so since NFT last year, uh, very simply, record prices are being paid for sports cards 
every auction right now. But the long tail, the base cards are not as high because you need wide and so it goes ebbs and flows. Same thing with NFTs. Every project last year in the summer and winter and fall did decent. Mm -hmm. Like people are just buying everything. Now you're seeing consolidation where the top projects are getting more of the market interest. And so to your point, I think there's a bigger, much bigger thing going on. I've been surprised in a great way what's going on with comics, sports cards, sneakers, NFTs, and even emerging things like VHS tapes. So like people- Like nostalgic collectibles? Yeah, like people are really spending real paper on VHS tapes that are graded and video games, right? So now you have these six things. So what I'm seeing is a bigger combo. Two things. One, if you go look at TikTok accounts of 15, 16, 17 year olds, this is crazy. You have 16 year olds that have in their bio, investor. 16. And like, not like ha ha ha, and by the way, not just dudes. Ladies and gents, 16, TikTok, silly stuff, like they're high school graduated, like this is what I do for a living, like NHHSS 2024, cheerleader, investor. <laughs> and I'm like, this is profound. I couldn't find a dude to talk to me about business in high school. Yeah. Now you've got everybody. So, couple things. One, the rise of people saying, I'm an investor too and then the rise of what they want to invest in. 22 year old you and me, flat out, because of who we were, knew that real estate and Wall Street stocks was stuff you could invest in and maybe should, right? Mm -hmm. We just knew, 25, 26, but it was in the lexicon. But that was kind of it. Yeah. Like, maybe we knew about art, but that was some bougie ass, rich people shit that we would never, like, you didn't even think about that. You knew that hey, maybe I'll buy an apartment and rent it out to people. If you were like kind of advanced and was around, but you kind of knew maybe I should buy 50 shares of Disney, Yeah. right? All that energy now with the Robin Hood crowd of the Reddit stuff that happened during COVID, now you've got an entire generation of 15 to 35 year olds that A, think that they should invest because even 22 and 25 year old me and you that thought about being businessmen, Mm -hmm. I have a funny feeling we weren't thinking that much about investing. I was just thinking about making paper, Yes. right? So now you've got 15 to 30 year olds that think about investing. Like the way you actually get wealthy is you invest. You don't sit on the dollars, which is what people knew, but they were mainly finance people down there in Wall Street. But they don't wanna buy a one family bedroom in Brooklyn and make recurring revenue on rent. They don't wanna buy a thousand shares of a good solid stock. They wanna buy a pair of Nikes that are gonna go up 2X. They wanna buy John Morant rookie cards because investing is now more pop culture and fashion. They want to win on their investment, but also enjoy it. They, don't, they want the NFT to put in their social media profile and they want it to go up. That's very different than buying 75 shares of Turner. Yeah. Or, you know, or, like, and so investing has become pop culturized, yeah. which is making all this money come in, which allows for all these new genres. I had two people in the last six weeks in their 30s and 40s reach out to me saying that they want to become handbag traders. Two separate people who didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. Gary, what, you know, friends of mine, yeah. business women, hey, you know what you're doing with sports cards and NFTs? I'm like, uh-huh. They're like, I've been doing separate. I think I can do that with handbags. I'm like, you should. That's exactly right. 100%. 100%. Set up your networks. Let, let somebody buy it at the, at the Chanel in Milan, ship it to you, flip it in New York. Like Everyone now sees it as a viable cultural thing you do and they just are gonna do it in new stuff. So alternative investments, alt. The whole genre of it, that is a big deal and it hasn't begun. Because news alert, most of those 16 year olds with investor in their profile, they don't have that much money. But they will and And they'll be 26 real quick and more importantly, when they all hit these Gen Z investor kids, that's gonna be the culture, that's gonna be what's cool and you know what happens, we're living it now as 40 year olds, we're always in the pulse of 20 year olds, well these 20 year olds will be in the pulse of these 15 year olds and it's just gonna set the whole mark. I think alternative investment assets as pop culture, just like fashion became fashion because of it, is about to be a huge thing and the most scalable of all those things is the NFT because it's digital and it scales everywhere. Um, A unicorn in this space, a one of one, Michael Rubin, um, obviously Fanatics has gotten 
well-deserved press over the last two years during this time period. Uh, Michael built an incredible business, 80 million plus um, customers, sports-focused customers, and because of that had the idea to build multiple verticals and be able to give those customers the entire sports fan experience. Yes. And the Amazon of sports, if I was sitting next to him, I would say could be what your North Star is. So Michael raised tons of money on different verticals and is now gonna launch with incredible teams, a trading card business, he has an NFT business, um, a gambling business, I'm sure ticketing and all different other verticals can come into play. A, I would assume that you believe Michael is the man to do this as I do. But what is Fanatic's challenge and what do you think ultimately they have to do to make all of this work? I think Fanatic's challenge is the same challenge that the Vayner X and BeFriends universe is, the challenge of any remarkable business that has been built in the last 40 years by the founder. The challenge is we just need Michael to be healthy. I swear to God, that, you know, my belief is I know Michael well enough now. I watch him for a far long time. Over the last five years, I've gotten to know him better. You know this. You know this very well, actually. Probably even better than me because you've run a lot more circles. I've been in my cocoons in my businesses. I get out there once in a while. There are just people that are tour de forces. They just are. Yeah. It is what it is. They're just going to win. One of the things when I kind of popped up and said, finally, let me get out there and meet people, because I was always in my lab, I was surprised how many a plus number one players would shit on other A plus number one players. Not because I don't get being competitive and just trying to be yeah. you know, macho about and be like, I'm gonna fuck it. That they actually, I thought, believed it and I was surprised that they didn't recognize that winners will always win. Yeah. No matter how much you talk about them at dinner at one o'clock in the morning. And so that's how I think about Michael, meaning he's just gonna win. Yeah. And, and the reason I believe that is I really got to really actually know him because in the beginning of COVID, he called me and he said, I'm about to do this charity thing called the All In Challenge and I want yeah. your help. And I'm like, I'm in. And I was like kind of scared because I was already, I just mentioned earlier in an interview, I was worried about Vayner and now I signed up for this All In Challenge and Michael's a psycho. We were on it 17, 18 hours a day. We were going hard. And I really got to see I'm a psycho and I've got that energy and I've got that operational capability and I got to see it so up close and personal that when you ask me this question, unlike five years ago, I would have to guess. I just see it too clearly. Here's how I see it. A, the, the, what's, the, what's the concern? Can he put the right people in place for those seven big divisions? Mm-hmm. But, you, but, but this is what I believe. If he doesn't, he'll replace them. Yeah. Like I don't think losing is an option for him. So I think, <gasps> I think he's got his strategy. He's gonna put the right people in place. I'm sure one out of five won't work out, he'll adjust. And then I think it just becomes, yeah. you know, a, a, just a matter of time. And he did an incredible job kind of reshaping what the Fanatics brand meant to the public in general. Even the way people are anticipating the 100%. new verticals. It's not how we thought of Fanatics two years no, ago. No, Fanatics, you know, two, three years ago was like, this sells me my swag. Yeah. Like, the Cubs win the World Series, I get it. Yeah. I want a Jets jersey, cool. Like, yeah. why am I going there instead of NFL shop? Oh, he powers it now? Like, you know, it's kind of like a B2B brand. Yeah. But I think all this stuff takes it into an incredible opportunity to become a very meaningful, you know, B2C brand. Yeah. I'll give you an example. If you told me in five years in culture we're walking around and a lot of people are rocking like limited edition Fanatics hoodies, I'd be like, of course because this just got going, then they added a little more of that. Kind of like Nike, right? Mm -hmm. Nike was sport, and then it was pop culture, and then it was over. Yeah. Virtual reality, mixed reality, where does it sit in the future for you? I think the most interesting complex conversation in business in the Web3 space right now is how many people are investing in the metaverse and my belief is the metaverse is pretty far away. Meaning, it's not very far away, but when people are buying up land in a lot of places, I just caution them, not that that's not a good idea, Sandbox, Decentraland, great operators, a lot of good stuff going on, but timing. For me, back to looking at kiddies at 17, but then jumping in 21, you've gotta wait for like, I need to see a million people 
100,000, even 100,000 yeah. people spending three hours a day in VR. And I know, listen, Oculus has got users. Yeah. Like Meta, like one of, I've, I own no stock on Wall Street except companies that I was in before they IPO'd and still hold on to the shares. Yeah. So I don't pay attention a lot there. However, Meta has me like kind of like looking a little bit because I know that they're so far ahead on Oculus and Metaverse that they, I think, are in the power position to actually win yeah. VR. Yeah. And nobody's paying attention to that. It's Meta, it's fuck Facebook. But it's popping up. Like there, Even when you look at renderings of a home you're building, people are handing you an Oculus now to tour the entire yeah. property. It's starting to it's pop starting up. It's starting to pop up. It's, and to your point, the B2B world, activations at Super Bowl. Like Sometimes the B2B world leads in some of these technologies because they're willing to spend the money for the, yeah. or the utility, right? To your point, yeah. home. Oh, it's coming. You know, my point of view on it is betting the farm on it to get consumer money out of it right now, which is a lot of people are doing, is gonna be dangerous. Do I believe Ready Player One type life is possible? I sure do. We've got a long way to go between that and that. But do I think in five, seven years from now, I'm playing Madden 31 and I'm actually Zach Wilson and I'm like, 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 yes, and I think it's gonna be fresh as shit. Yeah. Um, Five disruptors that you're paying attention to across all of business. Well, that's a really good question. What am I paying attention to? So, A, and I'm gonna, this could eat up all five. What I do extremely well is look at kids on the come up. Every day. Show me what the kids are, like I'm looking at TikTok and Instagram, people that are just doing interesting stuff, right? I'm always looking at that. It's funny, we just talked about it, but I'll bring it up. I do think that Oculus and the VR division, Boz, Andrew Bosworth over at Meta, it's sneaky. It's bigger than people think. Um, I'm very intrigued with DTC brands that integrate with Web3. The perceived value of NFTs as an added value to buying a subscription of a direct-to-consumer product has my attention, and I'm looking for that. Show me a cereal, a beverage, uh, uh, a toothpaste, that when you buy it, you get an NFT, and it does this and that, so that, that's the, a disruptor I'm looking for. Um, but, you know, I'm paying attention to collaborative podcasts. There's something with that whole barbershop, like three uh, impulse, like show me a podcast that starts tomorrow that has three charis- people that have charisma with each other and I'm kind of like, as a format, that's a disruptive thing. I think we live through the era of like one host, one guest, yeah. the ensemble, yeah. right? The, I like that. Yeah. There's something there. Yeah. So if people, you know, I'm trying to throw out some stuff that I hope people pick up on and maybe do their own versions of. I think the ensemble podcast has yeah. got a real shot. I'm so. sensing that. All In is something of like a, a model for that. The yeah. All In podcast. Yeah, that's right. All right, so what are we up to? That was four. four. Um, you know, What's challenging about this question for me is I, even though Mike Tyson was my favorite boxer growing up, um, I associate a lot more with Pernell Whitaker and Floyd Mayweather. Let me tell you why. Counterpunching. It's hard for me to normally say these five, you know, uh, I'll give you a great example. It's hard for me to say these five people or things are popping, but, it's, but I put myself in a position to know what's disrupting. I'll give you a great example. Yesterday on the internet, at the Met Gala, Emma Chamberlain interviewed Jack Harlow and they had this really funny exchange. Mm-hmm. And it went viral as crazy. Thought, yeah. You saw it? And when it was going down yesterday, I was like, my God, I DM'd with these two four years ago. And I'm like, that's what I do for a living. So, you know, it's almost like you're looking at people and you're watching what they do but you, you know they have potential, it's like ingredients. Yeah. But you don't know they're really disrupting until they're on the press, almost like the mature version of what you said I was doing when we started this interview, like these last two years. I mean, look, I've been doing shit in public for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, and that's kind of how I think about disruption. You're just kind of keeping tabs on a million things. Yeah. Right? Totally, yeah. And then, and you're like, oh, now this is on the precipice. Yeah. Uh, comedians, just as a genre. I, conf- the, I just said this to someone the other day. The modern comedian, yeah. like the Schultzes and Schwabs, like the, all these characters, Dylan, like, like I'm like, man, they're like, they're capturing it, the format's right for them. It just feels and, like and, and unfortunately, these two awful incidents have given it a little bit more of a, 
of like uh, attention to the fact it. I think Chris Rock was there. That's and, just <laughs> was able to. Pop it's in like that makes joke. it think we're in the Truman Show for real, <laughs> yeah, for right? Real. All right, we're almost done. Right. Where is VaynerMedia today? What are the um, kind of verticals of the business? Yeah. Vayner Agency, I know your Vayner X, yep. runs Yeah, Vayner Sports actually is the one Vayner company that sits outside of Vayner X where Vayner Media sits because Steve Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, is our partner in Vayner Media and Vayner X, and because that's sports representation. Yes. So we had to pull, even though it's called Vayner Sports, that sits out there. In Vayner X, we have Vayner Media, we have the Gallery Media Group, which has 137 and Pure Wow Publishing. We have Eva Nosadam, Madison Avenue spelt backwards. I love that name. It's a production company that makes all our commercials. Um, we have Vayner Commerce. Um, and so we, we have a new company that we're announcing, I'll give it to you now, called Tingley Lane Trading. Tingley Lane was the street that I did my first yeah, uh, lemonade stand on. That's gonna be a media barter company. I don't know if you know that business, when companies sit with assets and they trade it to you for media. Really interesting business. Yeah, cool. So we're gonna do that. Um, so, you know, Vayner Speakers, our speaking bureau, it's become a massive company. We've got, we've got 15, 16, 1700 employees with 500 openings across the globe. We have 300 people in Asia, 100 pe- 150 people in APAC, uh, excuse me, in Asia, APAC. We have 150 people in London. We have 50 people in Mexico City. So it's a global company now. We were at age, one of Ad Age's 10 best agencies of the year, Ad Weeks, media, breakthrough media agency of the year. We, we've, similar to the way you said, hey, for you, Gary, after 13 years, I've been saying to everybody, I'm like, we're the Tesla to every other car company in the ad world. We're the Netflix to all the networks. And just like those two companies, we're getting shit on. And then everyone was like, "Uh Mm uh-oh. When it comes to advertising, modern day Mad Men, everybody was shitting on us. And now everyone's saying, "Uh uh-oh. I saw you say that V Friends is your legacy though. Yes. Um, explain that and, and give us the kind of uh, specifics of what V Friends is. And- v Friends is an intellectual property that I'm standing up around the virtues that I most care about: patient panda, empathy elephant, um, competitive clown. I believe in competition, um, and and I'm really excited about it. I grew up really paying attention to cartoons, really paying attention to the WWF, which was really building intellectual property through human beings. And I think I'm on the path of building a Transformers and a Pokemon, and I'm gonna do it for the rest of my life. Right now, I'm a little bit in that two CEO life, Vayner X and VFriends, but I'm positive that VFriends is something I will be working on for the rest of my life, and I wanna build a Looney Tunes, uh, you know, a Hanna-Barbera, uh, hopefully as big as something as Disney in 55 years. I really think this is what I'm gonna do, and I'm excited, because I've used Gary V, me the human, as my vessel to kind of say, hey, you could be a fucking gangster, but you don't have to compromise your civility, right? Like you could be a fucking beast, but you could be a nice dude. Like, like some of the things I believe in. Yep. We all wanna say some shit, right? Yep. An intellectual property with 275 characters, like a Marvel, allows me to say a lot of things to a lot of people in a lot of parts of the world, every age group, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pump it. Last question. As an entrepreneur, whenever someone says something out loud, even if people are laughing in the room or you're laughing, you mean it and you have a roadmap to getting it. Tell me your true honest plan to one day owning the New York Jets. Two things on that. One, I want everybody to hear this. I've been trying to do a better job even though I've been doing it for a decade. I want to really hit this. The greatest gift in my life is the chase of buying the New York Jets. On the record for the hundredth time, when Sally buys the New York Jets in 13 years and everybody DMs me and texts me and hits me up and says, are you okay? My answer is gonna be, I'm phenomenal. I'm gonna go get the Knicks. It's the game, yeah. right? The path is doing the right thing, building the right relationships, squeezing the shit out of all of my talents, being thoughtful. I could have never told you two years ago that something called NFTs was gonna become important and become a very substantial financial event for me. That's exactly what's happened. I'm just gonna to continue to do the right things to put me in the right rooms, to put me in the right places to see things. And what, and what I've done my whole life, starting from a, where I started to where I am now, it just keeps compounding. So in five years, when I'm 51, which is young as shit, yeah. something new, like social media and NFTs is gonna happen, and I'm gonna see it, because I always see it, but I'm gonna be a very different animal than I was when I was 18, or that I am even now. And that animal is gonna eat more and do more. And something I'm proud of, you know this about me, I wanna bring 
people along with me. Yep. I want to bring my inner circle of friends, but I also put out my shit to the world. I want people to win alongside me. That's how I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get there. I really believe it. Smooth for 92.